Let's pray together. Close your eyes and bow your head as we pray that God works through his word and by his spirit in our hearts this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you know that we call ourselves Graham Emmanuel. And the reason for that is because we want to show this community that you are with us because you came as a man, your son Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to rise on the third day for us. And Lord, we pray that we will be a witness to this community in the way that we worship, in the way that we fellowship together, and in the way that we study and apply the words that you have given us in Scripture. May you bless our upcoming time in your word. May you soften our hearts. May you open our eyes. May you tune our ears to hear the grace that you have given us specifically this morning in Colossians. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Very good. I want to propose to you guys a couple of hypothetical situations. Imagine that there was a slave long ago in history who was a slave to his master that was for life. And for the rest of his life, he had to do whatever the master told him to do. Then imagine that this slave, all of a sudden, after years of service, keels over and dies. Now imagine the absurdity if that master was to come to that dead slave and say, hey, by the way, would you mind making me a sandwich? Think of how ridiculous that situation would be. In the same way, imagine perhaps a man who was drafted into the military during a time of war, and that that drafting was indefinite. It was for life. He had to serve in the military until either the war was over or he gave his own life. Now imagine the absurdity if that man was to die in combat and then for the government to send a letter to his mailbox after he had died, drafting him again into the army. A final situation, imagine that there's a captain of a ship who's a bad captain and he's domineering and he's mean-hearted and he's abusive, and that there's a mutiny on ship, and that this captain is killed and thrown into the bottom of the ship. Imagine the absurdity if the crew said that before they had to do anything, set the sails or chart a course, that they had to first go down and ask the dead body of their captain if it was okay. Imagine the ridiculousness of all of those three situations that I just gave to you. Now also recognize that the same absurdity occurs when Christians decide to obey the sinful desires of their flesh, which has been crucified with Christ. That's going to be what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2, which is going to be what we look at this morning. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking from verses 20 to 23, where Paul is going to point out the absurdity of Christians who try to walk in the Lord by obeying something that is supposed to be dead. Paul is going to end chapter 2 by reminding these believers in Colossae that the way that they can spiritually grow is not 
by obeying something that in Christ they have been crucified to. And we might be setting a record this morning because we are going to look at four whole verses today, this Sunday morning. And we're going to do it to end the chapter where Paul, he started out in chapter 2 talking about the sufficiency of Christ in order to grow as a Christian. And now he's ending chapter 2 by talking about the insufficiency of everything else. And he's going to summarize those thoughts in our message this morning. So let's read those verses, and I would like to ask all of us to stand as we read these verses, to follow that tradition that has taken place over 2,000 years of people standing for the reading of God's Word. Stand and read along silently in your copy of Scripture as I read from the ESV translation, Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Paul writes to the Colossians, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You may all be seated. There are difficult words in this passage, but the idea is actually very straightforward. The big idea of this morning's message The point that Paul is trying to get across, I remind you, is a summary of the past two messages that we have looked at. In fact, it's a summary of all of chapter 2. Two Sundays ago, the big idea was that you can't walk in Christ through religious regulations. Last Sunday, the big idea was that you can't walk in Christ through false spiritual experiences. Today, Paul is summarizing all of that in these four verses by saying that you cannot walk in Christ by submitting to earthly things. That's the point of this passage. That's the big idea that you can write down in your notes, that you cannot walk in Christ, this is a blanket statement, by submitting to any earthly things, whether it's religious regulations on what you should eat or drink, or whether it's some false worship of angels or desire to have visions, whatever it is, Paul is going to point out that these things are simply creations of the world itself. They are simply man-made products of religiosity and that none of these things are sufficient and that submitting, even as a Christian, that if you submit to these earthly things, in your heavenly pursuit, that you're like a hamster running in place on a wheel, that you're getting absolutely nowhere, that you are living as absurdly as a crew member on a ship that has to first ask permission of a dead captain in order not to raise your sails. That's going to be what Paul talks about in this passage. And these earthly things that we're going to talk about in the big idea that we're going to talk about in this passage, the word that Paul uses 
to describe these earthly things is the word that he uses in verse 20, where he uses the phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. Paul has already used that phrase. It's really only one word in Greek. He uses it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Fun fact, he also uses it in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul uses the exact same word. The elemental spirits of the world, world is Paul's kind of catchphrase that he uses to describe anything that is worldly, whether it's physical things like earth and wind and fire, or whether it's the basic legalistic approach to religion that you see in all man-made religions about what you should eat, what you should taste, what you should touch, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Paul describes all of that as the elemental spirits of the world. And the first point for this morning, the reason why Christians cannot walk by, in Christ by submitting to any earthly thing, the number one reason for that, there's going to be two, but the first reason for that is that Christians cannot walk in Christ by submitting to earthly things because Christians have died to earthly things. That's your point number one. If you have repented of your sins, meaning if you have recognized that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and you have turned away from your sinful life and by faith chosen to trust in dependence on God's Son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection on your behalf for salvation, if you have done that, the Bible says that you also share in Christ's death and resurrection. That's what Paul talked about at the beginning of chapter 2, how we have been buried with Christ, how we have been circumcised with Christ, referring to his death on the cross. If you are a Christian, Jesus' death on the cross was not just a death for the forgiveness of your sins, it was also a death in which you, the sinner, vicariously shared in. Meaning that if you are saved, you died with Christ, meaning that you are now dead to the elemental spirits of the world. Just like a slave who would be a slave to his master for life, but, it, but is then freed from his master by his own death, that is what happens to you when you get saved. All religiosity, all of the demands of this world on how to be a good person, how to be more pious or more religious than the other person in order to try to puff yourself up or to please these imaginary made-up gods, all of those things, you are not bound to them. You are not bound to any man-made rules or false spiritual experiences because you have died to them. That's what Paul says in verse 20. He says, if with Christ, really that's in Christ, Paul says that if in Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, he then asks a question. And this is a question that you have to ask yourself. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? These, Jew, these Jews in Colossae, some of them were Jewish Christians. They were called Judaizers. They tried to convince the Colossians that in order to grow as a Christian, they had to follow the demands of the Jewish legal system. Paul says that you have died to that. 
Christ has fulfilled the legal system. He died on the cross for your sins. And because you have died with them, just like a slave who is now set free from his master through death, we have also been set free even from the Mosaic law. This is what the rest of the New Testament has to say about that. Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 2, he makes a similar question where he asks, how can we who died to sin still live in it? In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul, again, he writes, For through the law, referring to Jesus fulfilling the law, Paul says that he died to the law so that he might live unto God. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.24, also wrote this, referring to Christ. He says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Peter was quoting Isaiah chapter 53. There are so many forms of religion, even religions that claim to be Christian religions, that try to tell you that the way to please God is by something other than faith. The Roman Catholics will tell you that, well, you have to do the sacraments, that you have to make sure that you're going to confession that you have to make sure that you go through confirmation, that you go through these processes that are not in Scripture, but made up by man, and they tell you that if you want to be sure that you're going to heaven, you have to do these extra-biblical steps. Muslims who claim that Christ is a prophet, who claim to believe in the God of Abraham, but they really don't because that's not the God of the Bible, they'll try to tell you that in order to please God, you have to fast, that you have to follow Ramadan, that you have to live in a certain way, and that if you check off these boxes, that then you will please God. All of those things might sound obviously wrong to us. It's easy to talk about Islam. It may be easy to talk about Roman Catholicism, but how many Protestant evangelical Christians fall into the same trap where they tell themselves that now that they have been saved by faith, that they can put faith to the side and just try to work as hard as they can to do as many good works in order to try to please God and give themselves a sense of assurance of their salvation. And then if they feel like they're not doing a good enough job, then they feel like they have to say the prayer of salvation again and again and again because they're basing the quality of their salvation not on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, but on their own works, on their own actions. All Christians, all churches, all religions, each and every one of them, they have a list. I imagine even Grand Emanuel Baptist Church probably has a list. This is what you got to do in order to be a good church. The things that we deceive ourselves with, the things that we can... Uh, falsely assume that, well, this is what we see the other people do, so I guess that's what we have to do in putting our trust in the works instead of seeing obedience as a means to worship God as an outflow of our faith 
and dependence on his grace. Any list of works that you can make for yourself, any list of works that any church or any religion could give you, saying this is what a good Christian does, those things in of themselves can become an idol. And Paul wants to remind the Colossians not to submit themselves to regulations, to rules, to lists, as a means of salvation or as a means of spiritual growth. Don't get me wrong. This is not an anti-obedience sermon. This is an anti-earning sermon. Do you recognize the difference? God loves obedience, but he loves an obedience that is from an outflow of trust in Christ's righteousness for our salvation. This passage does not say that we should reject obedience. That would put us on the other side of that mountain that we've seen on the screen the past couple Sundays, the mountain of apathy. That's not what Paul is getting at here. What he is getting at is warning the Christians not to turn any rules or regulations or any form of obedience into an idol. Paul continues on in verses 21 and 22, giving examples of this. In 21, he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He's probably doing one of two things. He's probably either mocking what some of these religious people will go around doing, kind of like the Pharisees. They were the over-spiritual police, making sure that all the Jews were being good little boys and good little girls. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't look that way. Paul is perhaps mocking them. Or in verse 21, what he's doing is he's actually quoting them. He might even be quoting a statement that might have been familiar to the Colossians. Something that might have been told to them. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. Paul is bringing up the situation with these Colossians. He's bringing up the list. He's giving examples of things that the Colossians are being tempted towards or that they are being falsely taught towards, which is putting their hope and their trust for spiritual growth, not in Christ, but in their own ability to check off boxes on a list. Going on in verse 22, Paul says that these are all referring to things that perish. Don't touch that food. Well, the food's going to perish and decay anyways, just like you. Don't touch. Hey, everything in this world, it's going to burn just like you if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is getting across here. These are all things that all just go away. Every car rusts. Every body gets old and decays. Everything burns. Everything dies. So why would we have a heavenly pursuit that tries to attain heaven through earthly things? Paul, in verse 22, he describes these things as being according to not godly precepts and teachings, but according to human precept and teachings. Paul is actually quoting Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Isaiah 29, verse 13 is the same verse that even Jesus would often quote when he says that they honor me with their lips, where they follow me in exterior only by following man-made laws, 
man-made regulations and not actually trusting in their heart in what I actually have commanded of them. Ask yourself this. Do you really love God? Or do you just subscribe to a doctrine that says that you should love God? Do you actually live every day of your life by actual faithful dependence in Jesus Christ? Or do you just subscribe to a doctrine of faith in Jesus Christ? There's a difference from claiming that you check off a box of a doctrine and actually applying it and living it in your actual life. Jesus wants more than just lip service. He wants more than just exterior obedience that can be seen from the outside. As the prophet Samuel told Jesse, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Meaning that if you are a Christian today, it is foolish to try to spiritually grow by following a list of rules or regulations, even if they're biblical ones, as a means of trying to make yourself more Christ-like. You are dead in your trespasses. You always have been. You're in your flesh. You cannot make yourself more like Christ. Only God can do that in your heart by his grace. Paul starts out in point one by making it clear that we cannot walk in Christ by submitting to earthly things because we, have, we are dead to it. We have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, all those demands of any of those religions, any of those lists, not only are they useless, but we are free from their demands because we have been crucified with Christ. Now let's look at point number two. The second reason why Paul says that we cannot walk in Christ by submitting to earthly things. This is in verse 23. Paul finishes by saying, All these things, they indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, like, by the way, we talked about last week. But, Paul continues, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The second reason Paul gives, which is of why we cannot walk in Christ by submitting to earthly things, is not only because we have died to those earthly things, but because those earthly things, those rules, those regulations, those examples and lists of obedience that people put before us, none of those things can solve the real problem, which is that we are born sinners. This, the point that you can write in point number two is this, that earthly things cannot change the heart. Earthly things cannot change the heart. Earthly things cannot make a spiritual impact. Pulling up into a church parking lot on a Sunday morning, putting a $20 bill in the offering plate, buying a new Bible, taking your kids to VBS, none of those things... While they may be good things, none of them can solve the real problem, which is a problem of the heart. That's what Paul means at the end of verse 23, where he says that these things have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They may have an appearance of wisdom, which is what Paul says at the beginning of verse 23. They may make, they may make you look good, 
in front of your neighbors, in front of your church family. It may give people the perception that you're godly or that you're a good Christian or that you're more spiritual than other people. But all throughout Colossians, again and again, Paul has been making the same point. That wisdom, true wisdom, is not found in anything other than Jesus Christ. Paul even calls Christ the very storehouse, the treasure chest, in chapter 2, verse 3, of all wisdom and knowledge. It's in Christ that true wisdom comes from. Yet all so-called religious people, all religions, they try to give an appearance of wisdom through earthly things, whether they are monks, whether they are rabbis, whether they are book authors, whether they have conferences, whether they have blogs, if they are putting their spiritual trust in anything other than Christ for their spiritual growth, they are playing you. They are merely giving you the appearance of wisdom. True wisdom, whether it's in the form of a blog, whether it's in the form of a conference, or any type of church setting, true wisdom is someone that says, hey, I'm nothing without who I am in Christ. Hey, I have nothing to offer except offering Christ and him crucified on your behalf and him risen on the third day. Anyone who tries to sell you any form of spiritual wisdom or enlightenment that is in anything other than total and complete dependence on the risen Savior Jesus Christ is lying to you. They are fools, as Proverbs calls them. And they are merely giving the appearance of wisdom, whether they promote self-made religion or ascetic lifestyles, being severe to the body. None of it will change because guess what? You can go fasting, you can, you can go on keto, you can do whatever diet you want to your body, but it doesn't change the fact that we are born with bodies that love to be gluttonous. You can go off drinking as long as you want, but even a secular committee like Alcoholics Anonymous recognizes that you are always susceptible to drunkenness. You can do whatever you want to how you dress or how you portray yourself, but that doesn't change the fact that you were born a person who is naturally vain and self-centered and self-focused. It doesn't matter what you do to the outside. The problem is the inside. The problem is that we are all born in Adam, who was a sinner. And because we were all born from Adam, we all inherited his sinful flesh. We were all born predisposed, hardwired to sin. And nothing we do on the outside, no matter how many rules we obey, no matter how many rules we come up with for ourselves, nothing can actually change the real problem, which is the problem of our flesh. That's what Paul says in verse 23, that none of those things are actually valuable in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is what Job chapter 14 says verse 4 has to say. Job says, Who can bring a clean thing out of something that is unclean? No, not one. Again, in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul, struggling with his own flesh as a Christian, by the way, writes that, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Because he still has his flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. That's the answer that Paul is getting at here. That the only way that we can spiritually grow is through gospel living. And gospel living is living every day to spiritually grow through the same means by which you became saved to begin with. By recognizing that there is nothing you can do of your own strength to make yourself good in the eyes of God. And that every second, every minute, every day, you need to depend on Christ's righteousness on your behalf, his death on the cross, his resurrection, for you to be saved. A monk can live as strict of a life as he wants, but he still has the flesh, which is why we need to crucify the flesh, which is why the the flesh, it has to be destroyed. And when Jesus died on the cross, for those who put their trust in him, your flesh was crucified with Christ. Therefore, the way that you live as a Christian every day has to be like one of those shipmates on a ship with a dead captain. When you're tempted to lust, when you're tempted to hate, when you're tempted to anger, you need to recognize that you are being tempted by a master that you are dead to. That you are being tempted by a ruler that no longer has authority over you because you have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you are dead to those things. In recognizing that you are dead to those temptations is the means by which God, through his spirit, equips you, instead of sinning in those opportunities, to obey him in those opportunities. No amount of man-made regulations, false systems, or extra-biblical rules can ever bring you closer to Christ other than faithful dependence on the fact that you have been crucified with. So church family, I ask you, in your life, are you actually living as one who is truly walking with the Lord? Not are you doing the things that we as Graham Emanuel Baptist Church have portrayed to you that you have to do to give us the perception that you're walking with Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your heart, in your life, in your daily habits, both in thought and action, are you actually walking with the Lord? Are you actually one that is abiding with Christ in his word? Are you actually one who is choosing to remind yourself when confronted with sin that you are crucified with Christ? If not, you are a stagnant Christian. Or perhaps you are one who has deceived yourself and you have never put your trust in God's salvation. You need to reflect on that in your heart today. There's no tangible thing that I can give you with to take away of saying, do this and you'll be a good Christian. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. That's not the kind of sermon that this is. This isn't recite three Hail Marys. This isn't go and do five good deeds. 
This is in your heart. Choose to live by faith in every moment that God puts before you. And that is going to be harder than any false sense of action that any religious person could ever put in for, before you. If you want to grow in Christ, it is that kind of faithfulness that you must be willing to embrace. I do not want Graham Emanuel Baptist Church to be a church of people who merely want to give the appearance of wisdom. I don't want people to come to this church and be merely given the perception of people who are good. I want people to come to Graham Emanuel Baptist Church and recognize that, wow, these people are just like me. They have the same struggles that I have. They have the same fears, the same doubts, the same hurts that I have, but they have a Savior that I don't and that I need to put my trust in, that they have a hope that they're depending on that I don't have but that I need, and that that hope is Jesus Christ. That's the kind of church that I want us to be where people see in everything that we do, in our thoughts, our actions, our programs, our events, that we are people that are dead in our trespasses, that we are dead in our flesh, but that we are depending in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have and the fact that even though he died for us and he died for our sins, that your son Jesus did not stay dead. He was Lord even over the grave. He's alive even this second, risen on the third day. May we truly make Christ central in everything that we do, even in our own spiritual growth, Lord. May you produce that in us by your grace, through your spirit that resides in those who have put their trust in you. And we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.